0: need something original and affordable for mother's day etsy has it shop until may 12th for up to 30 percent off gifts for mom terms apply this is ion veterans weekend a roundup of the week's most important stories affecting those who served presented by university of maryland global campus there are nearly 20 million 20 million military, military veterans, veterans in, in the, the US. u.s
1: each week we focus on their stories
2: powered by connectingvets.com
0: This this is CBS Ion Eye Eye on Veterans
3: Ion Veterans. Veterans
4: Welcome to another edition of CBS Ion Veterans I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs Ion Veterans is a weekly program focused on the men and women who have served our nation in uniform and their families We're powered by connectingvets.com always a great place to find military news veteran news resources and stories about the veteran lifestyle We know because we're vets ourselves. On today's show, we'll meet a couple vets with something to say. One is a Marine whose voice can be heard on major TV networks every day.
3: Don't miss Bear Grylls like you've never seen him before. Only on Discovery.
4: And one is an Army veteran who has a lot to say
1: about the new rules of war. So imagine this. China goes to Detroit and says we will pay for free health care free education subsidize your housing and give you a football stadium and all you got to do is vote communist in the next congressional election detroit would say we'll take all your stuff but we ain't voting commie and that's exactly what happened in iraq and afghanistan that's all coming up next Now, in our first segment,
4: as we always do, we try to talk about some veteran news and uh, some issues that are affecting the veteran community. And I have here with me, friend of the show, the executive director of AMVETS and Marine Joe Schinelli. Joe, how are you?
2: Never better, Phil. Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate this.
4: Always glad to have you, Joe. Your social feed is full of the issues that AMVETS is addressing. And as the oldest congressionally chartered veteran service organization, it is no surprise that I see you on Capitol Hill, uh, that I see you tweeting and Facebooking about all kinds of issues. And most recently, I've seen you tweeting a little bit about the military suicide solution. And I have to say, brother, you and I both know so many people that have been affected uh, by suicide. And you guys are not just tweeting about the crisis as a problem, but yet you guys are doing things, rolling up your sleeves and offering some solutions. And talk to me about the Clay Hunt Save Act report you guys were recently discussing.
2: Sure. So the Clay Hunt SAVE Act was uh, created a few years ago, uh, named in honor of a veteran's advocate who took his own life. Um, This was supposed to be a roadmap to solve the suicide epidemic. Um, And billions and billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars have been spent uh, since then. And unfortunately, we're not seeing progress. And uh, Congress, when they created that law, they mandated that there would be a congressional report that they would pay Tens of thousands of dollars for each year, um, so that they could see the progress on that and, and see how it was working. And we dug in, and unfortunately, both of these reports show that um, that it's just not working nearly well enough. Uh, we're it's only effective for about a third of the veterans who are coming into the system. And when we talk about the system, talk about the VA's mental health care system. So it about two-thirds are are still falling through the cracks for a variety of reasons. And the bottom line, and it's the VA needs to be allowed, and I use that word as key here, allowed to try new things, to to try new ways to uh, attack this problem um, and move away from just the, the pharmaceutical and talk therapy. Those do work, but not to nearly the extent that we need them to work.
4: Now, while that's bad news, AMVETS isn't content to just sit and harp on Congress to do something about it. They're actually rolling up their sleeves and creating programs that can be enacted that will help make a difference in the suicide epidemic right now. And I spoke about one of these programs with AMVETS Director of Advocacy, Sherman Gillums Jr.
5: Two years ago, we started the HEAL program, which was uh, intended to give us a way to intervene in the lives of of veterans and uh, family members who find themselves in crisis. While we did a great job of putting resources around veterans and holistically restoring veterans, we wanted to make sure that we were keeping up with the latest uh, in terms of best practices. Our chief medical executive, Sharice Jackson, and I decided to attend ASSIST training, which stands for Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training. And it's the global standard for applying what's called suicide first aid. So this allows us to—we're not going to save everybody. We're not going to stop everybody from wanting to die. But there are things we can do in the immediate moment to uh, help that veteran decide, at least in the moment, I'm going to fight this out a little longer. I'm going to hang in there and be safe for now. You'll hear that term a lot if you—if you go through the training. Being safe for now is the whole point. So we can get that veteran uh, to a point where. At least we can connect them to resources, and hopefully those resources will keep them safe forever. Is the idea? But but if we're trying to solve every problem and, and boil the ocean with this, we're going to miss a lot of things because that's just not possible. But uh, but we're very happy to a- attend that training and incorporate it into our our heal program.
4: Is this the kind of thing that people at Amvet's posts can take? Become certified in, and then they know now when they're out at the post and they see somebody maybe by themselves or they hear somebody, they overhear a conversation and someone's talking about how, you know, life just is not going right. They can jump right in and say, let's talk.
5: What Assist does, it actually puts you in a position of the person who is uh, skilled and armed with the skills to take that person from crisis to a point where you de escalated. The crisis enough. And that's not easy to do because everybody's got a different reason for why they find themselves, we refer to it as being down the river. Uh, And before they go over the waterfall, we want to make sure we put uh, uh, some effort into opening their eyes to the choices that they have, uh, alternatives to dying. Um, And once you have them understand those choices, you also have to assist. It's referred to as assisting life. You have to assist them with a safe plan. And, and there's a very deliberate way to do that. It's a structure that in the heat of the moment, you can begin to uh, see this structure unfold. It's easy to follow. And, uh, and it works well. We've applied it a few times in some cases, and it works well.
4: Put me in the setting here, and I'm sitting there, and I'm having a burger, and I'm talking to my friends. But if I'm looking around the room, what might I see if I see somebody that could be exhibiting signs that they need someone right now?
5: I'm going to give you the number one sign that's most important. If they give you a reason to even suspect that they're thinking about taking their lives, he or she is thinking about taking his or her life. You have to ask the question: Are you thinking about harming yourself? Are you contemplating suicide? A lot of people don't want to do that because, in some people's minds, it'll it'll push that person in that direction, or it's taboo. There's a stigma attached to it. But what assist teaches is you have to get it out in the open. And once it's out in the open, you begin a process of taking that individual from from thinking about death to thinking about connecting to life to thinking about how that actually looks. So the, the, the number one red flag is if they give you a reason to suspect that there's something wrong, you have to ask the question, are you thinking about suicide? And, and, you, and you develop that confidence to deal with the answer through this assist training and through our HEAL support. All
4: right. I want to paraphrase it real quick. If they give you a reason to think something is wrong, that's a, that's a powerful statement. And I think because it is so subjective, that's wide open. It could be just meeting somebody two bar stools down that's talking about how they just lost their job. It could be another person you run into that's just having, you know, saying they're going through a tough time, a divorce. Maybe, like, you know, they just it's someone that appears to be having a tough time
5: in life. And well, let me say this, but, but uh, we all face contributories. We all face things that push us into a, a direction where our life is not great. The difference is the support. What's keeping you from going from a person who has problems to a person who's suicidal? Suicidal thoughts are not common. Divorces are common. Bankruptcy is common. Uh, medical, uh, Medical issues and financial issues. What's not common, though, is when those things drive you to a point of desperation and thinking about taking your life. And so that's the difference, identifying where the dam is breaking down, where the social support is breaking down. Are we talking about addiction? Are we talking about a mental health issue that's been diagnosed or not? So it's, it's not the fact that there are problems, it's, it's how the person sees the problems and whether they've thought uh, life isn't worth living as they deal with things that are relatively common uh, for all of us as human beings.
4: Mm. And having the courage to ask the
5: question. That's I right. love it.
4: Hey, where do I learn more about this program and where do I learn more about how I can find this online?
5: Well, you can follow us uh, online. Anvets is our handle in social media, Facebook and um, Twitter. You can also go to anvets.org backslash vet-heal, H-E-A-L. You can see all the work we're doing from our suicide online training program to the uh, various press releases and, and op-eds that we've been putting out to uh, advance the discussion around uh, preventing suicide. Uh, and then from there, you can just get in contact with us through our various channels, and uh, we'll be happy to talk to anyone about what we're doing and how they can get involved. And we'll be
4: back with more great veterans after this. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now in our next segment, I'm going to introduce to you a veteran who you've heard before, but you don't know his name.
3: To celebrate its 25th anniversary, Discovery launched the biggest shark week ever. A team of scientists is trying to create the first great white family tree. Don't miss Bear Grylls like you've never seen him before. Helping ordinary people overcome crippling phobias. Only on Discovery.
4: He was once a Marine. And in fact, always a Marine. Our guest this hour, Matt Baker. Matt, how are you, man?
3: Hey, I'm doing fantastic, Phil. Thanks for, thanks for having me on.
4: Yeah, really cool. Like I told you when I first reached out to you, I saw you on LinkedIn recently. And, of course, I followed you because, uh, full disclosure, uh, I do voice work outside this job. Grab the perfect combo of big taste and icy cold refreshment, only at Taco Bell. And I first called you when I wanted to make voiceover my full-time job, and uh, you were kind enough to take my call. I called you because I know you as a voice from the Discovery
3: Channel Shark Week. So keep your cameras rolling whenever you're near the water. Because the sharks are out there, and they have stories to tell. Uh, I know you work on the military channel. The Marines move into al Kafji. The enemy flees. Or is captured.
4: Suffice to say, I've heard your work all over TV, and uh, you helped guide me and gave me some good advice as a young voice artist. Yes, sir. But I'm dying to know, tell me more about your time with the Marine Corps.
3: Before I joined the Marines, I was in the Army, uh, in the Army Reserve. Uh, and did, did basic training in Fort Benning, Georgia to my junior and senior year in high school, which I don't, I don't really recommend. Uh, <laughs> it's really hot down there. <laughs> and then I was like, nah, this really isn't, this didn't like scratch that. It's my, my dad, by the way, career army officer. So, um, Oh yeah. you you said your dad's a full bird colonel, right? Yeah. He retired as full bird colonel. He was the CEO of Walter Reed, uh, back when it was before it was merged in with Bethesda Naval.
4: Um, so I can imagine how proud he was when you told him at
3: one point that you were going to be a voice actor. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I mean, that after that, you know, that was after I'd gotten out of the service. But OK, we'll get uh, to that later. Yeah. So, yeah, I did the, um, so did the Army thing and I was like, mm, nah, it's not really scratching that itch. So I went and talked to the Marine recruiter and I was like, hey, can I you know, join the Marines? He's like, yeah, sure, but you're going to have to go through boot camp again. So I have had the privilege of going through boot camp twice. <laughs> Uh, So that was a lot of fun. Um, uh, And the
4: Marines won't take anybody else's boot camp.
3: No. Now, if I'd have done it the other way, if I'd have gone Marines to Army, that would have been no problem whatsoever. Uh, I may have had to go to, you know, some school to to train whatever the MOS is, but boot camp I would not have had to repeat. Huh. Yeah, so so, uh, in retrospect, screwed that up. But whatever. Uh, I was in really great shape by the time I finished that second (laughs) boot camp. (laughs) Not to mention you were
4: like 18 years old, like just out of high school. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, Yeah,
3: that's bulletproof anyway, so... (laughs)
4: Now, I know we talked before this, and uh, you told me that uh, you just missed being able to deploy to Desert Storm, and it was over before we knew it. But what I want to do for this interview is find out more about how did you end up going from enlisted Marine Corps to becoming one of TV's most recognizable announcers?
3: All right, so here's how it worked for me. So after I got out of the Marines, went to college, got married, all that fun stuff, um, ended up in IT sales. This is like kind of during the dot-com boom and bust, so I worked for— seven companies in four years, which gets really tedious, really fast. You know, you show up at the door of your client and they're like, they're like, Oh, Hey, that's cool. What are you doing now? I'm like, Oh, I'm selling this now. Oh, I thought you and, and then they're like, and they kind of get turned off and it's really, you know, you kind of lose faith in like, well, I'm selling this now and next week it might be something else. And right. And so being in sales, like, a, you know, having a product you believe in is, is the best thing you can have. And for me, that's me. So when, uh, I, I took a, I took a voiceover class at one of those places that like, you know, you can have a class in anything, right? Like how to start a business, how to find your astrological soulmate, how to, uh, how to win at, um, you know, poker. I mean, any of those things. Right. And my right. wife was looking for a class on like how to drink wine, like, you know, wine tasting or whatever. Yeah. 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 And she found us like, you hey, can do voiceovers. And every now and then, cause I'd done presentations and stuff in Vegas and, right. and, and over the phone. And every now and then someone goes like, you should be in radio. And I'm like, well, I don't really know radio, but. But she found this voice, thing, so I took it. Guy calls me next day. It was a lot of fun. Guy calls me next day. So you should get a demo made. And this is back in the you know uh, Ask Jeeves days, not the uh, Google days. So not everybody was online yet and stuff. And so I had to figure out how to get one done. I got one done, and it was terrible. Um, and then one day I walked into my um, new product manager, walked into his room to talk to him about some product where we I was supposed to be selling. Uh, and as I pulled out my notebook, my demo slides out, demo CD. Slides out um, and kids, a CD is a circular silver shiny disc uh, <laughs> that looks like a DVD or a Blu-ray uh, that we used to carry all the time. Um, anyways, so that slides out and he goes, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm fooling around in voiceover. He's like, oh, I just came from Discovery Channel. And he pulls out the Discovery Channel phone book. Kids, a phone book is this really thick um, <laughs> book with names and addresses and emails and phone numbers in it. Text.
4: <laughs> yes. On every
3: page. <laughs> it's really heavy. So yeah, he pulls out and he goes, Talk, call this person and tell him I sent you. I said, cool. So I call this person. Um, and they were like, well, we not everything anything yet, but you know, send me your demo. Like, cool. So I sent it to her and then like six months, I kept bugging her like once a month. And then six months later, she's like, Hey, Discovery's moving down to, um, silver spring and they want to hire some local talent for a bunch of stuff. So can you come in and read for this thing? It's called billboards. Uh, billboards are, this program is brought to you in part by, and then sponsor name and really long tagline. And I have to jam all that in 4.7 seconds. Barrett Jackson is brought to you by Bridgestone, your journey, our passion. So uh, I came in and read for it and got the job. That was my first voiceover gig. And as fate would have it, I was getting ready to take another job at some other IT company and didn't get that job, but I got this job. But I got the voiceover job first and then was told I didn't get the other job. So if it happened the other direction. I've been really nervous, <laughs> but I went from zero to 60. And, and then that was my only job for a very long time. Because I didn't know how to do marketing. I didn't know how to, like, what do you do? Who do you talk to? Uh, I mean, a lot of guys, kind of like you, came out of radio. So they had kind of a built in, you guys knew, like, if you want to do radio commercials, you know, there's somebody at the station who does that. And you may actually know who that is. I didn't know any of that. So I had to, like, make it up as I went along. Now, during our interview, we talked for about an hour about everything from microphones
4: to finding a mentor. But what I really wanted to share in this interview was the process that whether you were a beginner, or an experienced voice actor the process you have to use to find the sound that will get you cast in a commercial
3: what character were you or what did you do in your mind to like evolve um well that was the thing i kept trying to i kept trying to get better i knew i wasn't as good uh as most people um uh or as anybody who's making a lot of money in this business. So, I had to figure like, okay, so what am I doing wrong? What am I doing right? What works, what doesn't? And so I kind of, you know, I took some coaching. I did a lot of coaching. Uh I talked to other voiceover people. Uh Joe Cipriano, for instance, nicest guy in voiceover I have ever met. Uh he does like a lot of the CBS comedy promos. He was the voice of Fox uh Fox TV, not Fox News, but like Fox, you know, regular mm-hmm. Fox network for years. Um And I just emailed him one day and I'm like, Hey man, I'm, I'm kind of feeling a rut. I can't figure out how to get out of this. And he's like, Oh, that's because you're doing, you're talking, you're talking way down, down here in your diaphragm and like, let the microphone do the work. Like bring your voice up, talk, talk in the back of your throat, and then just, just relax into it. Don't, don't get, you know, don't get crazy about it. Don't worry about it too much. And that was like the biggest, biggest advice, best advice I've ever gotten. Huh? Yeah. It was just like, let the microphone do the work. You've got like be you tend to worry about the sound, right? You tend to worry about how you sound, and you really can't do that. You really have to like just be the cop. The copy, the script will tell you what to do. it Will tell you that you know if you know how to read it. It'll right. Tell you what to do. So, so just relax and do that.
4: And Matt also shared one of the biggest trade secrets that every professional voice actor puts into each
3: script they read. You're kind of a salesman, really, almost all the time when you're selling. Commercials, particularly, uh, maybe not so much in narration, but definitely in promos and and and, and billboards and, and those kind of things. You're you're a salesman. Radio imaging, you're you're selling the station. Yep. Uh, TV affiliates, you're trying to get people to tune in and watch uh, CNN or, or Channel Seven or whatever. So and Shark Week. I mean, I'm I, I want to watch Shark Week. I mean, it helps.
4: You've got the gripping images of a shark jumping out of the water, like you yeah. know, biting a something, and but your read matched with that man that makes it sound like i, I do need to, honey we do need to watch that next sunday night at nine
3: <laughs> premieres march 16th only on discovery
4: now where do i hear more of your work where do i see your work if i want to research vo stuff
3: um you can go to um bigbaldvo.com so you know again it's all branding right that's what i am so that's how i put myself out there <laughs> bigbaldvo.com yes sir <laughs> That's That's awesome. Matt Baker, he's a voice of Discovery Channel Shark Week, among many other
4: TV networks. And uh, before he was any of that, he was a Marine. Number five. Now, stick around because we'll hear from the Army veteran that wrote the new rules of war when CBS Ion Veterans returns. (laughs) Welcome back to CBS Ion Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now, our next guest is an Army veteran, a professor of strategy at the National Defense University and Georgetown University School of Foreign Service, and one hell of an author. He wrote The New Rules of War, How America Can Win Against Russia, China, and Other Threats. I'm talking about my friend, Dr. Sean McFate. How are you, Sean?
1: I'm doing great, Phil.
4: Always good to have you back. And uh, this book continues to do well. And I think it's because sort of it's speaking to the world we live in today. And before we get into what the new rules of war are exactly, can I bore you with reading at you what your own publicist says about you? Of course. (laughs) Though our military remains undefeated, the United States has lost every war since World War II. But within a generation, our military's fate will undoubtedly change if we continue to cling to the past. Today, more than 80 years after World War II and 30 years since the fall of the Berlin Wall, the number of armed conflicts being waged around the world has doubled. If the United States refuses to accept that we are once again living in dangerous, unpredictable times, it is inevitable that our military, until now undefeated, will fail. That was a pretty powerful statement there in the beginning. We're undefeated, yet we haven't really won a conflict.
1: Yeah. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, the last time we won a big war was 1945. And since then, we have continued to struggle against lower level foes. And that's why I wrote this book, because I was curious about this. like why. We are the best military in the world. Even our adversaries know that. So why haven't we won decisively in 70 years?
4: The new rules of war goes through 10 rules that are things we need to think about in this modern day and age when we are fighting terrorism and we're fighting in Iraq, Afghanistan, Africa, distant places around the world. And we're fighting, like you said, low-tech enemies. But before we get into that, share with me a little bit about your background. Because I remember when I first met you, I found it fascinating. Uh, You served with some pretty... Big name generals. In fact, one of them is quoted in the forward to your book, uh, General Stanley McChrystal. Yeah. But share with me a little bit about your army background. So
1: I was a paratrooper in the 82nd Armored Division uh, for eight years, all or the almost way. all the way, uh, feet and knees together. Uh, and back then, my uh, battalion commander was a Lieutenant Colonel Stanley McChrystal. My brigade commander was initially Colonel John Abizade, followed by Colonel David Petraeus. And as a young lieutenant, I thought, this is pretty awesome. They're hard, but they're, they're, they're tough, but they're good. Um, and McChrystal became a bit of a mentor to me. Uh, in fact, it was Petraeus who told me to leave the Army. Because I wanted to sort of do a career. And he says, no, this is, this is early 90s. He's like, there's no future for counterinsurgency in this Army. You should go out and get a PhD. And McChrystal wrote my recommendation, and I ended up doing that. Um, but I, uh, and then of course, 9-11 happened, the world changed on its head, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I, I, at that point, I, I was no longer in the military. I had, gone to gra- I had gone to Harvard actually, as a graduate student, and I thought this was like the worst mistake in my life. And I dropped out of Harvard, and I ended up going to Africa, because I, I was a warrior, and I wanted to go where the fight was This is sort of pre-9-11, and I ended up in the wars of Africa. And there I saw a whole new different world of warfare that is informed in the new rules of war. Uh, Some things you can't learn in school, as your listeners well know.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, let's get into some of this here, because this is what really makes this book incredible. And I wish more policymakers were reading this, but I want to breeze through them a little bit. Rule number one, conventional war is dead. But we're fighting a hell of a lot of it, Sean. I don't know if you've noticed. There's there's war going on. I mean, everywhere, up armored vehicles and missile launchers. Yeah. But you're saying that kind of war is dead.
1: That kind of war is dead. Exactly. So when we think of conventional war, we think of it as like timeless and universal, but it's not. It's a way of war. It's a warfare, and it's beginning was Napoleon. Its middle was like you know the U.S. Civil War, and its end was 1945, World War One and World War Two. Uh, that nobody fights that way anymore except for us. And that is why we struggle, is that we want to fight a conventional war and our enemies refuse to do that. And that is why Afghanistan's the longest war in U.S. history.
4: Let's go to rule number two. Technology will not save us. And this was a fascinating part of the book because you talk about how the government spent one and a half trillion dollars on something that has never even fired a bullet.
1: That's right. So when I say technology will not save us, I don't, I mean, technology is really important for war, but we're investing the wrong types. I'm talking about the Washington Beltway oligarchy, sort of Raytheon and Lockheed. And the F-35 is my favorite example of this. This is a single-seater fighter plane that we all know about. The program costs taxpayers and allies $1.5 trillion. Trillion with a T? Trillion. That is like more than Russia's GDP. In fact... If this plane were a country, its GDP would rank 11th in the world. And in two long wars, we've been at war since 9-11 constantly. It has racked up zero combat missions, zero. And the utility, you know, the measure of any weapon is its utility, can you use it or not. Yeah. And so this is, you know, we're, and we're buying lots more of these things. And they don't, they don't go to war. So I'm an old 11 Bravo, as used to say in the infantry, that dog don't hunt. Amazing, yeah, amazing.
4: Now we're going to get to more technology that we can use That's in the right. next segment. So hang out for that. Yeah. Uh, let's go to rule three. There's no such thing as war or peace. Um, they both coexist always, and you compare war to pregnancy.
1: Here. <laughs> That's true. Well, if you think about it, it's how we think about war today. We think of it you either are or you're not, just like pregnancy, or we think of it like a light switch. It's either on or off but our adversaries all know that there's no such thing as war or peace it's war and peace and what they do is they 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 go right up to that brink where we might fl- flip that switch to on and go to war and then they stop and we don't know what to do because it's like well it's not really war but they get away with murder an example of this is the south china sea it's how it's how china is taking the south china sea slowly with zero aircraft carriers and zero you know bombers like ours and they're, they're doing a, a strategic jujitsu jitsu flip on us.
4: Yeah, and to that, I just want to read to you your own book here and how essentially China is expanding its geographic footprint. It will soon make shipping more difficult for other nations to get by in the Yellow Sea, and thus that will upset trade. It will cause a problem with us getting goods and services and eventually start some sort of actual war because they're redrawing their own boundaries, taking a portion of the ocean and the land that's not theirs. Right. And you write, the real problem is the U.S. is playing chess while China is playing Go. And uh, like chess, Go is easy to learn but hard to master. Go is more complex and requires greater patience, giving new meaning to the phrase playing the long game. China has a long game. Yes, they do. And we do not. Is it true? I've heard this before. China has a 100-year plan.
1: Well, China has a grand strategy, something we don't have anymore. We used to have one during the Cold War. And this is the thing that guides our ship of state. We have been rudderless since the end of the 1990. 1990. China has one. And it's called the Three Warfare Strategy. And they have a date. By 1 October 2049, they will be the regional hegemon in the Pacific. It is they're the superpower in that side of the planet. And the real reason, the real reason the South China Sea matters, is partly to control and intimidate trade. But what it really is, it's sort of like the Spanish Civil War before World War II. All the allies in the region are, are watching this play unfold: China versus the U.S. And the countries in that region—I've been to several, talked about this—they feel that there are two trains leaving the station; and they have to choose. One is going to Beijing and one's going to Washington. And that's really what the fight is over. It's a symbolic fight about who's going to take over and who do you want to align with, not because you like them, but you, for self-preservation reasons, Who, which training to step on. And that's what we're fighting for in the South China Sea.
4: And yet we feel the fight every time we go to Walmart, Target, Kmart, any that's of right. them. I mean, we feel the results of this ongoing war, which, as you'd said at the beginning of rule number three, it's not war. It's not peace. It's this gray area that right. we are fighting in. And we're almost not even acknowledging we're at war right now. But the
1: China. Chinese very much are comfortable in this gray space, as is Russia, as is Iran. I mean, if you look at who's rising today, they all fight what I call the new rules of war. And they're all comfortable in the gray. We are not. We want there either to be war or peace. I mean, as any admiral will tell you today, any American admiral, flip that light switch to on We'll go to war. We'll take care of the South China Sea in one afternoon. Beijing knows that. And they're doing everything possible to keep us from flipping the light switch to on. But they're getting away with murder in the meantime.
4: All right. So much more to talk about. So many more rules to go through. And uh, more about the implications of what's going on right now today with Afghanistan, Iran, and Russia. And we'll get to all that when CBS on Veterans Returns. Welcome back to CBS ION Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. And we're going to jump back into our conversation about the new rules of war, how America can win against Russia, China, and other threats. It's a book by our friend Dr. Sean McFate, who's a professor of strategy at the National Defense University and Georgetown University School of Foreign Service and a former U.S. Army paratrooper, 82nd Airborne all the way, and uh, a former mercenary.
1: Contractor. We like to use our current contractor. <laughs> it's in your press kit, man.
4: It's in your press kit. I'm just reading what the publisher wrote. Euphemism. I yeah, uh, so. love it, though, man. Uh, this book, you know, I'm a big fan of. Um, but it's real. It's the realization of the big picture that's really unfolding globally that most of us don't look at because yeah. we just listen to sound bites in the headlines. And in your book, The New Rules of War, you've got all these rules about uh, what needs to change, what we need to be looking at when we're fighting low-tech enemies like terrorists when we're fighting rogue nations when we're fighting uh, or we're up against all these threats globally so let's jump back into rule number four hearts and minds don't matter um explain that one to me
1: well the book this is a really strange rule so the of the 10 rules this is the one that gets the most controversy amongst the u.s military the rule is hearts and minds do not matter Hear me out. So we think of like winning hearts and minds for counterinsurgency in Iraq and Afghanistan. That strategy was deeply flawed for all sorts of reasons, mainly because populations are not bribeable. So imagine this. China goes to Detroit and says, we we will pay for free health care, free education, subsidize your housing, and give you a football stadium. And all you got to do is vote communist in the next congressional election. Detroit would say, We'll take all your stuff, but we ain't voting commie. And that's exactly what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan. You can't bribe populations, which is a strategic logic of coin as we practiced it. That's why it failed. It was doomed to fail. And explain COIN real quick. Coin's the acronym for? Counterinsurgency. So think of David Petraeus, my former brigade commander. And it's a good idea on paper, but it doesn't work in reality. And so I explain that. I explain if you want to do COIN, it is bloody, awful, and immoral. And I give examples, including literally how we settled our West in the 19th century. You know, that's an example of counterinsurgency. Um, But here's where hearts and minds matter most at the strategic level. So think of COIN and what we did in Afghanistan, Iraq. That's at the tactical and operational. At the strategic level, information and influence is supreme. That's where you win wars. Let me ask you a question for all your listeners. When was the last time anybody remembers a Hollywood movie with China as the villain?
4: Um, Was it one of the Rambos? No.
1: Was there one? I don't think there was. Maybe some 007 movie back in the 60s, but there isn't. The reason is is that China legally bought Hollywood and they get to green light movies that they care about that shape their strategic narrative and shape their values and they get to, you know, DX movies they don't like. And they're building their own Hollywood in China that they hope to eclipse ours someday. So if war is all about it's about winning an information domain, they just bought an influence WMD and they're using it. But because we don't think about it as war. We don't, we are missing the beat. And that's part of what they're trying to do. They're using strategic deception because winning can look many different ways. Winning, one form of winning is we let them win on the battlefield. Sort right, of like, right, right, right. You know, we kill more than yeah. they kill of us. That doesn't work these days. I mean, let's not forget mission accomplished with General, you know, President Bush, right? Yeah, God
4: bless, right? It mean, <laughs> seemed like we were on the right track. Right. And then here we are. Here we
1: are today, all these years later. You know, this is a, ver- let me tell you another version of victory is all of our grandkids speaking Mandarin as a second language with Beijing-friendly values, arguing with us that we're too old school. That's a form of victory. And what we did to Germany after World War II, I mean, all the Germans today, for the most part, are very liberal, all speak English, very pro-American. Their great-grandparents in the 1930s would be, a, would be disgusted by that, we won. Beijing could do the same thing to us, using weapons like Hollywood. Wow, eerie when you think about that.
4: Hmm. Now, unfortunately, because this is radio, we don't have time for the entire interview. We talked about his other rules of war, like rule number six, the mercenaries will return. New types of world powers will rule. Rule number eight, there will be wars without states. But one of my favorite parts of our discussion came during rule number nine, shadow wars, Will dominate, and it's a topic I love to talk to Sean about. I mean, I'm willing to volunteer yeah. my services yeah. to make the most insulting content ever, so that right. I can bring right. these Islamic extremist nations to their knees when they start reading about their leaders with right. the memes that I make, right. and I can make them distrust all authority. Right. And where does that sound? What does that sound like? Doesn't that sound like what's going on on Facebook every day here? Well, yeah. Share with me about the dark arts and what kind of we really should be doing in this technological internet era.
1: So, if you look at initially, I said rule number two technology is, you know, does not win wars. I'm talking about like traditional military industrial complex technology, right? Like after guns, ships. Yeah. We don't, we, we already have a master. We already have mastered that. We need this other type of technology. Uh, So where wars is now being won in the information space, we need information weapons. And our enemies do this to us all the time. So take, for example, right now we're in the middle of a culture war. You know, Republicans versus Dems, uh, Fox versus CNN, you name it, right? Um, Now, democracies are messy. We know that. It's fine for having a family feud. It's not fine if foreign powers are reaching in through these dark arts, which is what they're doing, finding the seams in our society and ripping them violently apart so that we create our own civil war and we implode from the inside out. They make us hate each other over
4: articles they're publishing.
1: Why invade a country if you can do that to a country? And that's what Russia and others are doing to Europe and to us right now, right now. Uh, So it makes these discussions problematic. Now, we know that deterrence no longer works like the Cold War. And then in the Cold War deterrence is like mutually assured destruction. Well, our conventional forces, superlative as they are, did not stop Russia from going into Ukraine, did not stop Russia from going to Syria, did not stop China from going into the South China Sea, did not stop Iran from going into Syria. Deterrence is no longer about firepower. Deterrence is about punching back in the shadows using these dark arts. Because if, if you say if you mess with our country using these dark arts we will mess with yours and autocracies are actually much more brittle and much more vulnerable than democracies to dark arts we can discuss why but um you know for example putin rides half naked on bears why can't we do something with that right right i mean we invented hollywood we invented madison avenue we invented like political commercials which are all being deluged with right now right now we should be easily able to outmaneuver isis and beijing and moscow on this stuff we hold ourselves back now this is the discussion we need to have is like well how far do we amp it up but right now in my opinion where it's at the level it's at right now is completely sort of loser think We need to be a little bit more punchy and aggressive. And we used to do this during the Cold War. We've just forgotten how, curiously, in the last 30 years. Now, unfortunately, we're
4: almost out of time, and we're going to have to leave the conversation right there. But if you want to hear my full, unedited interview with Dr. Sean McFate about his book, The New Rules of War, go to ConnectingVets.com, search CBS ION Veterans. I am Phil Briggs, a proud Navy veteran and a lover of the dark arts. And as always, I'll be looking for more great veterans with more great stories to share with you right here next week on CBS Eye on Veterans.
0: Eye on Veterans Weekend has been presented by University of Maryland Global Campus. Choose from 90-plus programs and specializations to accelerate your military or civilian career and find out how our dedicated military and veteran advisors can help you navigate your benefits to save you time and money. University of Maryland Global Campus. Find out how we're made for you. Visit umgc.edu. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Ion Veterans ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey.
2: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan
5: the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator.